0: Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Timothy, chapter 1. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. The Apostle Paul was, of course, called by God to establish the work of the gospel in the Roman Empire, and part of his process of establishing and being a foundation layer for the church was to train leaders to carry on the work of the gospel into the next generation. As churches today, we are investing in the next generation of leaders and praying that God will raise up a new generation who will be bold. Paul said himself, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And as he writes 1 Timothy, he is writing to his younger associate, a young man who he had met on his first missionary journey, and he had brought him as part of the team. He'd included him, and he wanted him to be Uh, equipped, well-equipped to be strong in the grace that is in Christ. He wanted him to be trained, to be experienced. So when the time came for Paul to leave this world, he would one day say, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. And God would move him into eternity, and Timothy would take up the reins of leadership. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning to read at verse 12, we read of Paul's testimony. We're going to be exploring today the theme of testifying to the grace of God. If you had to use biblical terms, how could you testify? How could you explain your experience of the grace of God? 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 20. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Would you join me in prayer as we ask the Spirit of God to teach us this day. Father, we pray with your word open before us that our hearts likewise would be open. I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. You are our strength. You are our Redeemer. You are our Savior and Lord, and we worship you through Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. How clear a communicator are you? I'm sure even in a church this size with a variety of languages and cultures, there are sometimes communication challenges. Even between two people who supposedly speak the same language, sometimes a husband and wife, sometimes a friend, there are communication issues. I know what I said. I know what I thought I said. You know what you heard. You know what you thought you heard. And then we have a little conversation about who's right. How clear a communicator are you? We use a variety of tools of communication. Text messaging. I still haven't got my fingers as fast as my daughters or my five-year-old grandkids, but uh, they are able to get those messages out in a variety of words, sometimes three or four words. Certainly if you're a college student and you send no money, everybody gets the point, right? Tweeting, you know, Twitter has had to expand its character uh, capacity because people found that in 140 characters, you couldn't quite say everything that was on your heart. And of course, sometimes at a very national and international level, a tweet can change an entire stock or an entire company. Well, this morning, I want us to think through the biblical terms that you might and I might use to summarize our testimony How would you experience, how would you testify or relate your testimony in three to four words? How could you communicate simply the transforming power of the grace of God, your experience of regeneration, inward change by God, outwardly expressed through conversion, through change, through the challenge that God brings? We're looking at the testimony of the Apostle Paul. He sets before Timothy, his young associate, a history, a bit of a review of his own life. Now, they had spent years together. I'm sure Timothy had heard this one before, and you may have heard a sermon maybe from this passage before, but Paul is writing now, and the Spirit of God has preserved for us in these three paragraphs Paul's experience of God's grace. It's a summary of his spiritual journey. And he uses these four words, which I've selected from the text. He describes himself as a sinner. He self-identifies as a sinner. In your groups this week, I want you to think a little bit about that. What does it mean to self-identify as a sinner? What does that say to our culture? If you say, I'm a sinner, what does that mean? What, what, what is even the concept of sin in today's world? And then Savior, having encountered Of the grace of God on the Damascus Road, Paul met Jesus Christ. He encountered Jesus Christ as a Savior. God stopped him in his tracks. And he experienced the power, the transforming power of the gospel, as he came to believe in Jesus Christ. What did this Savior do with this sinner? He turned him into a servant. For the rest of his life, Paul spent his energy, his time, his resources, his talents, all that he was, all that he had, for the service and the glory of God. And then in the final paragraph, he warns Timothy about a couple of dangers that may be experienced in service. Real dangers that can happen and that need to be addressed and looked at as we move forward and seek to finish well. Not everyone who starts the race... Finish as well. So let's walk our way through this particular passage and let's talk about the issue of being a sinner. Paul describes himself as a sinner. I was introduced as having five grandkids, and just like those of you who have grandkids, you hold those grandkids and people say, Oh, aren't they so cute? Right? They look just like, and they describe someone. And you say, Yes, they're cute, but they're cute sinners. Right? They're sinners. They've been born in sin. They've been shaped in sin, and oh yes, they can have a cute smile, but just say no to them, and you'll see how quickly that smile changes, right? They're sinners. They're sinners. And so Paul identifies himself as a sinner. He has sinned, and he has fallen short of the glory of God. He very openly says to Timothy and to everyone who's ever read this letter ever since, I know myself to be a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. You you don't have to tell me, right? I know I'm a sinner. The Spirit of God has opened my eyes to see who God is and to see who I am in light of His holiness, in light of His justice. And in these verses, work with me through the text, and notice particularly in verse 13 how he describes his conduct. He says, though formerly, we'll come back to verse 12 later, but he says, though formerly in my... Earlier life, I was a blasphemer. I was a blasphemer. I I misused God's name. Now remember, Paul is Jewish. He would have grown up knowing the Ten Commandments and built into the Ten Commandments and into the first table of the law is God's standard for his own name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain For God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That sounds so radical in today's world when people use OMG as part of their texting. How holy do you reverence God's name? That's the issue. Our Father which art in heaven. That's the prayer I grew up with standing at the start of every school day in Ontario. That was a while ago. And we stood, and after the National Anthem, what did we do? We prayed the Lord's Prayer. Did anybody remember those days? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I know it was King James English. We didn't know all those words, but we kind of grasped the idea that it was important. That the day should begin with prayer. That we should recognize the, 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 the rule of God, the place of God, the will of God, the kingdom of God, before we started any of our activities. Things have changed, haven't they? Paul says, I know myself, though formerly I was a blasphemer. I misused, and he particularly misused the name of Christ. He, he thought he was serving God by hating Christ. How, how, how deceived he was. How misinformed. He was zealous. But his zeal did not line up with the scriptures. And he had to come to realize that he was not just persecuting Christians, he was persecuting Christ. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And he stopped them there on the Damascus Road. I was a persecutor. There's the word he describes himself with. I was a persecutor. He had those letters. He had gone to the high priest. He was an up-and-coming, promising religious leader. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Anybody who was meticulous in terms of the law, it was Paul. If righteousness could have come by obeying God's law, Paul had it down cold. But his righteousness was his own righteousness. God had to show him how unrighteous he was. I was a persecutor. And he was on the road to Damascus. He had these letters. He had this authority from the chief priests the top religious official in the land that if he found anyone, even one follower of the way, that's what Christians were called, he could arrest them, take them bound back to Jerusalem, and have them prosecuted. He, he would sort of be an early first century member of ISIS, hating Christians, doing what he could, giving his whole life to the destruction of the name of Jesus Christ. Some people still live like that. I was an insolent man, an insolent opponent, a violent man, the NIV says. I was a violent man. His energies, his focus, his passion was focused on destruction. He was destroying himself, he was destroying others, and yet he thought he was pleasing to God. It took the Spirit of God to open his eyes. It took a a, a dramatic encounter with the living Christ to bring him to the end of himself and to realize, I need God's help. I need God's forgiveness. I need God's mercy. He said, I acted in ignorance. I received mercy. The end of verse 13, I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. I had no idea how wrong I was. Have you been there? You think you're just living a good life. Oh, how good do you have to be to go to heaven? Take the Old Testament. Some scholars suggest that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. So if you're going to go to heaven by keeping the commandments, let's let's, let's even get it down to 10. All right? You might have heard of them. And so if you're going to go to heaven by keeping the commandments, you have to score 10 out of 10 every day of your life for your entire life, or you don't get there. How are we doing? I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man. I acted in ignorance. I'm a sinner. Now sometimes that becomes the first barrier in presenting the gospel, isn't it? well, I, I'm a good person. I didn't go into a Walmart and gun down people who were back-to-school shoppers. My name isn't on the first front page of the news or on the news feed for your smartphone or news channel that you watch. I, I, I'm a good person. I haven't heard anybody. Okay, how good do you have to be to get to heaven? How perfect do you have to be? All our righteousnesses are as as filthy rags, compared to a holy God who is perfect in his holiness. Paul knew himself to be a sinner, but here's the good news. He said Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Here's the good news. The good news intercepted the bad news. You ever, ever hear enough bad news in one day? You turn out and you think, how many more things are going to happen Not only in the United States, but in Canada, in in Vaughan, in Richmond Hill, in Oshawa. I mean, what what's happening? Why is violence on the rise? What is it within the hearts of men and women that is driving them to a, a, a freer expression of their sinfulness? Has God turned us over? Has God taken off the restraints of his grace? Here's the good news in the midst of the bad news. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and then he adds this extra, of whom I'm the worst. I don't have to leave my home. I just get up and look in the mirror in the morning. There's the worst sinner I know. There's the one who needs the grace of God. There's the one who needs the mercy of God. So here's my question for us. Have you acknowledged yourself to be a sinner? It's step one. Remember what Jesus said to those he was uh, dialoguing with during his ministry? He said, those who are sick, what, need a doctor, not those who are well. I mean, you don't show up at the doctor's office and say, you know, uh, hi, doc, I just, I just stopped by, I brought you a nice cap, it's been a hot day, I just wonder how you're doing. No, no, you usually show up because you've got some kind of presenting issue. You've got some issue and you need help because you're sick. Spiritually, it's the same way. Those who are sick need a doctor. Those who are sinners need a Savior. And the Spirit of God uses the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God, His own work in our lives to persuade us, to convince us, to bring in the evidence and say, you think you're a good person? Compare yourself to the goodness of God. you think you're a holy person? Compare yourself to the one who is holy, holy, holy. You need help. I need help. Praise God. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Well, this sinner, this chief of sinners, this foremost of sinners, experienced the grace of God. He met the Savior, and that's the second part of his testimony. This is the focus. It's not who I am. It's who he is. I couldn't rescue myself. I couldn't save myself I needed someone to save me and so his testimony his affirmation to Timothy and to us as we read it this morning is very clearly I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior I'm a Christian God had mercy on me God forgave me God rescued me. He has rescued us, Paul says to the Colossians, out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Praise his name. Now, how does he describe Jesus Christ? Look at some of the terms he uses. He describes Jesus as a shower of mercy. At The end of verse 13. Jesus Christ is, first of all, a shower of mercy. I received mercy. Mercy. If I was to stand just at the doorway as you head out this morning and say, could you just give me your testimony in three words? I wonder how many of us would say, Pastor Keith, I receive mercy. Anybody have received mercy? Have anybody experienced the grace of, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what needy people need from God? What, what, what has God shown you? Surely goodness and Mercy will follow you, to pursue you all the days of your life. You've been chased down by God's mercy. Read the Hound of Heaven if you haven't read that poem for a while. God, the Hound of Heaven, chases the, the sinner until he finds him and rescues him. He comes after us. Like the good shepherd who leaves the ninety and nine in the safety of the fold and goes after that one that was lost. He was a shower of mercy. Uh, Jesus is a supplier of grace, faith, and love. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord, I love this picture, "it, it overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Normally, when you use the overflowed, at least in our home, it's a bit of a mess, don't you think? Coffee pot, oh, it's overflowed. The tub, right? We've got the kids in the tub, and we forgot to turn off the tap. We took our kids, the grandkids, a couple of years ago to uh, African Lion Safari. And after, you know, sweating through the hot uh, sun, watching all the animals who weren't very active that day, we came to the splash pad. I mean, you know, another way to spend more time and more money. And we were there for a good chunk of the day, and I said to my grandson, I said, you've got to go right underneath where that big bucket is. What's going to happen? Just wait and see. So the bucket filled and filled and filled and filled, and then guess what happened? It overflowed. <laughs> he couldn't see, couldn't breathe. Thanks a lot, Grandpa. You know, I was in big trouble with his parents, and my, my wife. but that's another story. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with that afterwards. Confession is open here on at, uh, after the service. But it overflowed. That's the picture Paul uses. That's the illustration. Is that not your experience today? The grace of our Lord overflowed for me isn't that your experience that's why newton wrote amazing grace how sweet the sound it overflowed and not only did grace come that way faith and love came to me because they are in christ jesus god gave me his son god gave you his son what more could he give he loved you at your worst He loved you when you were shaking your fists, rebelling against him, wandering like a sheep uh, going astray. He sent Christ to die for you. This is good news. He's a savior of sinners. That's the core message that Paul is saying to Timothy. Listen, Timothy, Pastor Timothy, as you lead the church at Ephesus, as you serve in ESL, as you get involved in the men's breakfast, as you help with Sunday school, as you get involved in women's ministry, teens, whatever it is, make sure this is the core message. Whatever else you preach, whatever else Heritage College and Seminary train students to preach, we preach Christ and Him crucified. We haven't outgrown that. It's 2019, I know the date, but that's still the gospel. This is a faithful saying. This saying, verse 15, is trustworthy. You can build a ministry on it. You can build your life upon it. You can build your testimony on it. Christ, Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. Spread that news. Of whom I'm the worst. Of whom I'm the foremost. Foremost. He's a displayer of unlimited patience. The, the ESV uses the word perfect patience. So let, let, let's try something. Oh, down this aisle, anybody who has limited patience, let, let's just start the lineup. I'll say to Pastor Paul, you know you, uh, you know you, I, I took some liberties. you know you didn't you don't normally do this at grace but. I mean, I'm a guest. So I won't be here for another three years, maybe. So we're going to use this aisle for those who have limited patience. and over here we'll have those who have unlimited patience and, and I have to say to the greeters and some, some who are serving could you open the back door this this guy is getting full we we don't have a, there's only one person over here who is it it's jesus perfect patience with you perfect patience can you even grasp that We who are so imperfect in our patience have encountered the one who has perfect patience. Oh, there's a parenting passage, isn't it? For parents and grandparents, for husbands and wives and marriages. Oh, I need Christ. I need his mercy. I need the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering i need him to produce in me what i do not naturally have i wasn't born with it i need his transforming power paul says christ is a displayer of unlimited patience perfect patience so here's the question have you met the savior i mean encountered him Uh, you see there's a difference between knowing about christ and knowing christ would you agree I, I want to know Christ, Paul said, and I want to I want to know Him, not about Him. I know about Him. I want to know Him, and then in the midst of this, he inserts a doxology. He inserts an expression of praise in verse seventeen, having thought of who He is, having, having declared who Christ is. He he bursts into praises as if he. Just sort of interrupts the chapter and says to the king of the ages immortal invisible the only god be honor and glory forever and ever amen and you think well that's the end of the service right yeah, i mean you wouldn't put the benediction in the middle would you you would if you're excited about christ here's the principle theology will lead you to doxology you got you've got a clear view of god your heart will sing, O Lord my God, when I, in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands of me. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. And when I think that God, his Son not sparing, sent him to die, scarce can take it. That on the cross, my burden, my burden, gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great that word. That's what he's doing. To the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, lift your heart and pray. When you think of who he is, and you know who you are, burst into praise. Okay, it might be not appropriate on the subway, but there must be some place you can do it. To let people know you've encountered the living Christ. Well, what does the Savior do with such sinners? He turns them into servants. He makes them servants. You know, we sometimes sing, just as I am, without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. So I come just as I am, but God does not leave me just as I am. He begins to change. He works in me. He gives me his Holy Spirit as a down payment. He begins to revolutionize me from the inside out. And there's lots of work to be done. And he persists, he who began a good work in you, we can be confident as he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, to cooperate with God and see what he longs to do in my life. Not what I'm doing for him, but what he's doing through me. It's so different, isn't it? So here's the question. How may we serve? I've been appointed to a service. Back to verse 12. I thank him. This is Paul's expression of gratitude. I have a son-in-law who's American and you know we've been working on him the last several years since he's married now to my daughter and you know father a couple of grandkids I'm trying to persuade him about the real Thanksgiving it's it's in October I think not you don't wait till the last Thursday of November to be thankful come on we have a little fun going back and forth but Paul doesn't wait for October or November what does he do he just says I thank him any day, any time, any place, I thank him who has done what? Verse 12, who has given me strength. Anybody need strength? Physical strength, mental strength, emotional strength, psychological, whatever. You need the strength, he's got it for you. It's available. I can do all things, Philippians 4, through Christ who strengthens me. That says I'm weak. That says I don't have the strength. I think we started where how old was I when I first sang Jesus loves me this, I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are, help me out, weak. Oh, yes, but we're growing up. We're adults. We're in the big church. We're not down with those kids. Any any weak adults? Ever sensed your weakness? Oh, we are weak. Without me, you can do nothing. When we arrived in our property in Oshawa, a little grape vine that the previous owners had planted, and the first year there were uh, three grapes, and I was trying to be a sacrificial dad, so we cut one in half. and you know, They, they, they were kind of bitter, and so I let them have it anyway. But seriously, with that, I, I went to my brother-in-law who grew grapes, and I said, that, surely a vine can do better than this. He said, listen, you've got to care for it. It's got to be pruned. It's got to be nourished, right spot. The next year we had transplanted it, done what it, followed his instruction, we had 300 bunches. I think Jesus says something about, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bring forth much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. No, you can do a little bit. You can, you know, you can almost do it if Christ will help you a little bit. No, 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 no. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. But with him. D.L. Moody, writing notes, taking sermon notes. A good thing to do from time to time, isn't it? writing notes and the speaker said the world has yet to see what God can do through one man who is totally dedicated to him so Moody in his inimitable handwriting he had, he had typos he, he, he didn't have perfect grammar I don't even think he spelled it correctly but this is what he wrote the world has yet to see what God can do through one man who is dedicated to him and then as he got home that later that day and reviewed his notes here's what he wrote in the next line in his journal by God's grace I'll be that man Interesting. Don't we have Moody Bible Institute, Moody Church, Moody Press? I think God did something with that offer. Here I am, Lord, send me. In the scriptures, there are speaking ministries and serving ministries. We don't have time to look at the passage, but in 1 Peter, Peter talks about, you know, if you speak, if God gives you the opportunity to speak, speak as one speaking the very words of God. You're God's spokesman for that group, for that Bible study for that neighbor. Speak with his words. If if you serve, serve with his strength. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. I think the apostles were caught up in the wonder of serving Christ. And so should we be in our lives. We're safe to serve, aren't right? we? We serve with his strength. I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, He judged me faithful. I wasn't faithful? I'm not born faithful. He judged me faithful, and he appointed me to serve him at the UN, to serve him in Ottawa to serve. No, he appointed me to his service. You've been appointed to the service of the King of Kings. No higher calling, amen? every day we had a dear lady in northern ontario in the church paul and jennifer visited us many years ago and may have met her she's now with the lord and we were visiting her one day and she said pastor i always leave an extra seat at my table because she said every day i eat with a king and then she said to us you know sometimes that prayer list you give at church is a little long sorry but she said i i can't pray i can't remember all those what i'm going to do is start praying for my neighbors she lived in a township, if you know township, six miles by six miles, sorry if you're not metric, you know, you've you got to metri- metrify that, make that a metrical equivalent. But anyway, six miles by six miles, that's the way it's carved out up there. In the next year, we saw five people come to Christ from her township. Remarkable, wasn't it? She said, I can't, I can't pray for the whole world, she said, but I can pray for my neighbors. And I'm going to pray that God will reach them. And that I'll be a part of that process. Guess what? god did speaking and serving so how are we serving how am i serving christ and his bride the church that's the calling that's the calling that's on our lives i've been appointed to his servant let's get out that business card what does it say or go to linkedin or whatever you're using for technology today what how do you view your life's work are you in his service what a high calling well lastly Paul warns Timothy in the process of service about the topic of shipwreck Uh, dangers you see in the process of serving you sometimes acquire enemies there is an enemy of our souls called the devil who is not pleased when people get serious about serving Christ And he will do, he will bring in a variety of strategies to seek to keep you from service. To discourage you in your service. Be steadfast, Paul says, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know that passage in 1 Corinthians? For as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain, keep going. Press on. So here's the reality. I must be alert to the danger of a shipwrecked faith. So then the process, I was serving, but then I got sidetracked. I used to believe this, but I, I, I've shifted. We're seeing that among leaders, prominent leaders within the Christian movement who used to be passionate and clear, explicitly clear on the gospel. And then something happened. Paul says to Timothy, I give you these instructions, this charge I entrust to you in accordance with the prophecies. Somehow, earlier in Timothy's life, there had been some predictions. Maybe they said, now this this young man's going to go somewhere. Anybody ever said that? There's a young guy. There's a young woman who is, uh, she's just going to go places with God. She's serious about following Christ. So there are some prophecies made about Timothy, and Paul says, by them, I want you to wage the good warfare. Fight properly. Fight good fights. Don't get sidetracked. And as you go forward in service, hold on to two things. Faith, what you believe, and a good conscience, how you live. Hold on. Don't let go of what you believe. Don't adjust your beliefs. And as well, watch your life and your doctrine closely. He weaves that together again and again in these letters in these two letters. And then he warns him, using the example of two men, who were Hymenaeus and Alexander. Two men who had served, but had stopped serving. Two men who had started well, but somehow we don't even know the details. And Paul is reluctant. There's enough details given to say they had to be dealt with. And Paul himself, as an apostle, had led in the process of discipline as they were handed over to, look, to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Those who are Christ followers must hold on to faith. Give your faith a checkup. Do you believe what you once believed? Are you still committed to the gospel? Do you still believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? Do you still believe I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father except through Christ. Do you still believe in the triune God? Do you still believe in regeneration? As you read the word, you say, Lord, help me to understand it and to believe it and and to communicate it to others. I am persuaded by the word of God. Well, what's your life story as we draw this to a close? Have you maintained your grip on your faith and a good conscience? It's so tempting to let go, to, lose, to make an adjustment, and as you lose your grip, you lose your testimony. You lose the impact of your faith. What has been your spiritual journey? My prayer for you this morning as you trace your own sense of being a sinner before God, as you think of how you've met the Savior, how God brought someone to communicate the gospel, what God has given you as opportunities to serve him, my prayer for you is that God would use this study today, use this passage to encourage you, to warn you, to strengthen you, as you seek to be faithful to him. May God equip each of us to live out of his grace and to declare his power to transform lives. Amen.